Hello, friends. How's your soul? How's your heart? How's your mind? I care more about your soul and your heart, but I guess your mind's important too, right? We got it. We got to integrate. We got to integrate. Anyway, hello and welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. I am truly honored that you chose to check out the podcast and listen to today's amazing guest. Before I get to that, let me, I mean, should I put the favors up front? Don't you prefer that I like really totally lay it on the line and let you know what I'm thinking rather than like trying to be coy and like sneak it all in? Anyway, what would help me tremendously if you would be interested in connecting, Instagram is my fave, absolute fave way to connect. You can find me there at Head Heart Therapy, and I would love to be your friend on there. So please connect. If you want to give back to the podcast, you can do so by joining our Patreon. You can pledge as little as a dollar a month, which is literally amazing. You don't know how much it warms my heart. And if you do become a Patreon and you're willing to give me your address, I'm going to mail you a present. I promise I will. Don't everybody sign up at once, though. Oh, my God. I couldn't send like a thousand things out. Anyway, <laughs> another way that you can support the podcast that's totally free is by going to Apple Podcast and rating and reviewing. You can also do that for our guest today, too. We would really appreciate it. So all you have to do is give us five stars or if you feel so inclined to write something nice about the podcast or my personal preference, if you write something that makes me laugh, I promise to honor my promise and read it aloud on air so that everyone knows your name. Anyway, let me tell you about today's incredible, amazing guest. A well-respected physician and educator, Dr. Nzinga Harrison is the chief medical officer and co-founder of Eleanor Health a value-based provider of compassionate, comprehensive outpatient addiction treatment. Approachable and energetic, and then some, she has been known to explain medical concepts with an ease and humor that results in her audience's developing understanding of difficult material while having a good time doing it. She has written and presented several articles and workshops on the medical aspects of addiction and other psychiatric disorders, and has consulted on the same topics both nationally and internationally. I love Dr. Enzinga Harrison, and I know that you absolutely will too. You're going to listen to us fall in love in front of your eyes or your ears or whatever it is. I do this a lot, right? But I'm serious. I really love this person and I admire her work and I hope that you do too. So please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Enzinga Harrison. Hello, Dr. Enzinga Harrison. Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. You're so welcome. Did I pronounce that right? Perfect. Like Wonderful. a veteran. Wonderful. I did listen to your your podcast, but I could make sure to get it right. <laughs> Mission accomplished. Right? Well, thanks for joining us today. We already did this a little bit before we started recording, but you want to check in with listeners? How are you? How's your soul? Oh, how's my soul? My soul feels okay today. Actually, good. I was sharing with you that I just finished a webinar on racial equity, and that fills my soul. I was teaching for the last three hours, and the crowd was very engaged, and so that fills my cup. If you had asked me four days ago, I think literally I posted on Facebook and was like, I just need to climb in the bed and eat dessert. (laughs) Yeah, I've literally been eating icing, literally. You know, sometimes life calls for it, honestly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. 
Well, do you want to tell listeners more about who you are and the amazing work that you're doing in the world? Sure. Thank you. So let's see. I am Dr. Nzinga Harrison, and I'm a physician. My specialties are psychiatry and addiction medicine, so board certified in both of those specialties. And I am chief medical officer and co-founder of Eleanor Health which is a company we started just over about a year and a half ago now, which is a multi-state network of mental health medical homes. And so kind of to put that in English, currently like the concept of treatment of addiction in this country is go to a five-day detox and then maybe get nothing. Good luck. Mm -hmm. And then go to a 30-day rehab and then get nothing. Good luck. And we know that addictions are chronic conditions like high blood pressure, diabetes, asthma, that you can't treat in these short jaunts and think that people are going to do well. And so we call it a home because once you join our Eleanor Health community, then we are there for you through every phase. Mm -hmm. So you're actively using, we are here. We know that we can reduce the harm that will come to you by still having this relationship you're ready to stop using, we are here. You don't have to go to an ER. You don't have to go to a detox. You don't have to not know where to go because your home is Eleanor Health. We are here. Just really being on that longitudinal journey for people towards recovery. So that's Eleanor Health. And then a podcast host for In Recovery. So I'm trying to be like you. which is a podcast about all things addiction. And my thesis on there is that compassion heals. There is no health without relationships. So it's a question answer show. It's everywhere you get your podcast. Sorry for falling into an ad, but please I know listen. we have to. <laughs> <laughs> and then I do a lot of racial equity work, which is very similar to my addictions work, which is just like compassion, awareness, addressing injustices, advocating for those who have been marginalized. And I'm wife and mom Hmm. and mother and sister and daughter and friend. And And badass. I'll take it. Thank you very much. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I want to dig into your good work. And the reason I had reached out to you is because I also am an addiction specialist. And the way that you were talking about addiction is the way that I conceptualize addiction. And so I just wanted to nerd out about it together. But This show is really about our own healing journeys as people who are caretakers of others. And so I'm I'm curious, how did you get to where you are? What made you decide to become a doc and specialize in addiction? Yeah, well, now that I'm a psychiatrist, I know the answer to this question. (laughs) But before you were, it was a different answer, right? It was. It was. Mm -hmm. I was really little. I was like five or six years old. And, you know, your parents like, well, you grow up. And I was like, I want to be a doctor and a teacher. And I knew from very young that I wanted to be a doctor and a teacher. Mm. I thought I would be a pediatrician because those are the only doctors I knew. Like I don't have doctors in my family. So that's what a doctor was. But I didn't like my pediatrician because I didn't think he was a good doctor. I'm like six. Oh, funny. Let me tell you how to do it, friend. (laughs) And so then at like 12 years old, I got diagnosed with scoliosis. I went to see an orthopedic surgeon. Thankfully, I avoided surgery, although narrowly, but he was the doctor that I wanted to be. Mm. When I walked in the room, he looked me in the eye. He talked to me. He asked me how I was doing. Visit to visit. He knew I was a cheerleader. He's like, didn't you have cheerleading tryouts last time? How did it go? Are you still playing the piano? Like he saw me as a person, not as a diagnosis. And so then I decided to be a surgeon. 
But so (laughs) when I realized that my pediatrician had never spoken directly to me, he only talked to my mom. It was like I was invisible in the room until he laid hands on me Mm -hmm. for the physical exam. But otherwise, I didn't exist. And that was a denigrating experience because Mm -hmm. I was raised in a family where you have your voice. You are who you are. You are seen. Right. And so I realized that's the kind of doctor I wanted to be. So I went to medical school to be a surgeon. I didn't even know psychiatry really existed. I only knew about Freud, lay on my couch. I didn't know that there was like medicine, which don't get me wrong, because lay on my couch, <laughs> to be clear, okay? There, there is no health without laying on somebody's couch somehow. Mm-hmm. That might be your hairdresser's couch. It might be your best friend's couch. You yep. gotta lay on somebody's yep. couch. And so in medical school, you have to rotate through every specialty get your basic competence in the human body and physiology. And I did my psychiatry rotation and I was like, uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> Her eyes are lighting like, up for yeah. everyone who can't my see. Eyes, like, what is happening? Mm-hmm. And it took me so off guard. I was a pretty mm-hmm. vocal opponent against psychiatry because I didn't know the science. I was like, why don't I do six weeks of psychiatry? This is dumb. Mm-hmm. And I started my rotation and it was biological and it was psychological and it was relationships and it was advocacy and it was people who have been marginalized and unappreciated and denigrated. And I was like, my father was commander of the Black Panther militia when I was growing up in Indianapolis, Indiana, raised oh, wow. an activist. Yeah, raised an activist. And I was like, holy crap. You can say shit here if you like. <sighs> holy <laughs> shit. Yeah. <laughs> She like looks around. And I was like, this just fits. And I came home and I told my roommate, who's one of my best friends still to this day, I was like, I think it might be a psychiatrist. And she was like, Oh, I, you? Miss, why do I have to do six weeks? And I was like, I know it's crazy. And I mean, it has just been the perfect fit. I found psychiatry and then I found addiction medicine within psychiatry. I say psychiatry is the redheaded stepchild of medicine. Addiction is the redheaded stepchild of the redheaded stepchild. Yep. I was dismayed. I was like, this system doesn't care if these people live or die. It mm-hmm. doesn't care. Mm-hmm. I was like, these doctors don't understand that they're actually hurting these people. That tapped my teacher bone. I was like, this physiology in the brain is incredible how biological our thoughts and our emotions and our behaviors are. That tapped the scientist in me. And so that's what I thought the answer was. Now that I'm a psychiatrist, I know that it is because I have so much addiction and mental health disorders in my family. And my experience growing up with that was one of compassion and you will never get kicked from the nest. And we know that you're sick, but you can always come home. We're going to draw some boundaries for safety. But my grandmother was like, you will always be my child. You can always come home. Mm -hmm. We loved my uncles and uncles who were struggling and um, that is 100% informed the psychiatrist that I am today. Mm. So now I really know. Yeah, right. And the way that you describe your experience with the psychiatry rotation, I used to work in an outpatient, a PHP IOP level treatment center for addicted professionals, and we would have residents. And so we'd see the residents come in for the psychiatry rotation, just like you said, kicking and screaming, not wanting to be there. And then six weeks later, they'd leave and be like, this is what I want to do with my life. <laughs> I'm telling you, it just grabs you. It yeah. just grabs you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I also personally relate to being attracted to addiction and not quite knowing why. And then once I got in, I was like, 
Oh, yeah. rampant family history. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm really curious to know more about Eleanor Health. And I opened an intensive outpatient myself. And, and so know just very, very little about just how difficult it is with all the restrictions that different states have. So I'm just having a hard time conceptualizing how you can be this when this is the antithesis of what treatment is in most places. So I'm like, brava to you. And how do you do it? <laughs> yeah. So the first thing is like incredible support and resources. And so we were conceptualized by a company called Oxion Holdings and Town Hall Ventures, which invest in health equity and mm. health care to marginalized underserved populations. And it was born out of the opioid crisis. And it was like, it seems like the overwhelming way that addiction is being treated is not consistent with the evidence base, which is like this disjointed, short, episodic, no continuous thread. Because of course, at some point, there are people with addiction who will need detox. Just like at some point, there are people with diabetes who will need to go in the hospital because of their blood sugar. You don't discharge anybody from the hospital with diabetes and be like, no insulin, right. good luck, no education, no primary care doctor. Hope you survive. That is against the literature base. That is not standard of care. And yet that is the experience that people with addiction are having. And so they were like, how do we draw this seamless thread? And so we were conceptualized on value-based care, which is mm -hmm. like not getting paid appointment to appointment, get a population of folks that you're responsible for, take care of them, demonstrate outcomes, like do what you need to do to take care of them. Because the other thing is, Yes, insurance is going to pay me for a doctor's visit. They're going to pay me for a therapist's visit up to a certain number. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I know you're dealing with that in IOP, PSP <laughs> all day, right? So up to a certain number, regardless of how the person is doing, they're going to pay us for that. But are they going to pay me to call that person and sing happy birthday? Are they going to pay me to text that person on Christmas and say, I know you're alone, but I'm thinking about you. Check your doorstep. We left you a little something. Are they going to pay us for our pregnant woman to give her an Eleanor Health onesie and say, like, we're your community through this pregnancy? Insurance doesn't pay for those things, but those things drive health. And so we said, value-based payment, give us the money. We're going to do what we need to do to take care of our people. We're going to prove it to you with data and outcomes. And if we don't prove it, we'll give some of the money back. Okay, because I was thinking how value-based. Did that come out of Harvard? I feel like I heard about that a couple years ago and then never knew what it looked like. So many places mm -hmm. and there's like a real movement towards value-based care now. It has been mostly outside of addictions and mental health. So we're like really trying to push that. We say, yes, we are the first to be built specifically for value-based care. We do not want to be the last. Like we are driving to change the industry. So yes. You're running your IOP because we're not going to run IOP, right? We're that longitudinal long-term. So we need you because we need to say, you could benefit from IOP right now. And we know a safe place that we can send you where you're going to be treated with compassion and evidence. And when you finish there, you'll come back to us. But we need you also to be able to do what you need to do. Right. And so we're really just trying to push the industry and it has to be proven, right? Like prove that value-based care can be delivered in a way that is effective 
in a way that is sustainable for business. And so mm-hmm. that's what we're doing. So far, so good. Incredible. Hey, therapists, do I have something exciting for you? Head Heart Conversations is a webinar series for psychotherapists designed to invite your inner healer to the forefront of your personal and professional life. At my practice, Head Heart Therapy, we approach healing from the inside out. We believe that in order to offer the best care to our clients, we therapists must do our inner healing work as well. At this point in history, we are called to move beyond the old ways of being and courageously step into a new paradigm. Therapists are poised to support our clients' transformation, but we must also transform ourselves. In this four-part series, we will invite participants to learn about themselves as well as enhance their clinical skills. The first webinar takes place on March 5th, and it's called Conversations with a Wounded Healer, and it's a call to action intended to challenge participants to step into their own healing with courage. As a special thank you to Conversations with a Wounded Healer listeners, you can get $20 off your order by using the code PODCAST when you register. For more information and to register, please visit www.tinyurl.com slash hhconvos. And don't forget to use the code PODCAST. So if this is really, truly just because I want to understand more personally about it. So somebody comes to you and they have a substance use disorder, whatever place in the spectrum, they they have an assessment with you. Like what, take me through what it looks like for, for a patient to become part of your community. Yeah. So one, we make the commitment to unparalleled access. So people can get to us any number of ways. They can like send us a message on the website. They can call us. Their primary care doctor can refer them. They can be getting out of inpatient and that team can refer them. They can be in the ED and the ED doctor for like, whatever, just get to us. We're going to see you. Like we have appointments available same day, next day, period. Wow. The value-based environment lets you do that, right? Because in fee-for-service, I can't keep blank space on the schedule because it's costing me money. In the value-based environment, I got to do what I got to do. And part of that is getting people in when the opportunity presents. So you come in. Our first appointment is typically with the medical provider Mm -hmm. to do that medical evaluation. And then with your clinician, with your nurse to evaluate your physical health needs, with your community recovery partner to evaluate your social drivers of health, meaningfulness, and connectedness. And then from there you get an individualized plan. So like some people will be individual group, MAT, other people will be like, yes, I have opioid use disorder. I don't want suboxone autonomy, right? So what else can we do? And we put it together, the mix and the intensity and the frequency varies based on what each individual needs. And we say hashtag Eleanor for life. So once you join us, we are trying to stay with you like your primary care doctor forever. And so, no, you won't need to see us every week, every month, forever, but we'll be reaching out to you. We'll be keeping in touch. We'll teach you how to scale your cravings, recognize your triggers, check in like, we haven't heard from you in two months. We're just making sure it's all good or if you need to come see us. And so then it ebbs and flows over time. And you might be like, you know what? I haven't seen you in two months, but I need to get back in. And we're like, come on, let's do it. That's Amazing. And as you're talking, I'm like the first thing I felt was like space, right? Because when you talked about the difference between the fee for service schedule and the value based schedule, like as a doctor, I'm sure you're just like, oh, I can stretch. I have freedom to move. 
That's exactly decisions. right. That's exactly right. And I can't believe this is so funny. Like, how did I leave this out? Because I'm a psychiatrist. I think one of the most important things about our model, like, you know, we have this false separation of mental health and substance use disorders. Mm-hmm. Don't like even we get me started. Go on, girl, get started. Because <laughs> we need to get started on this ridiculousness, just like it's ridiculous, the separation of mental health and physical health. But so we hold our psychiatric resources in-house. So everybody who comes to us gets screened for depression, anxiety, trauma, previous psychiatric history, et cetera. And if you flag positive on that screen and you want to see our psychiatry team, because autonomy is one of our guiding principles, then we also have access to psychiatric evaluation and ongoing psychiatric management throughout your whole life period with us. So how do we get one of these in Illinois? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, ma'am. Like, honestly. Yeah, totally. So we're currently in North Carolina, New Jersey, Massachusetts, Washington, Louisiana, and Ohio are coming. The reason we're in those states is because we found a payer to take the leap with us. In North Carolina, we found Blue Cross in North Carolina that said, we will design a value-based payment. Hmm. <laughs> and so we say, we'll come to North Carolina. And then in New Jersey, we found our partner that said, we'll design a value-based reimbursement structure with you. And so we come to New Jersey. And so the way you get us to Illinois is find us a payer mm-hmm, <laughs> that is willing to design, evaluate, and they're all different, right? Like different payers have different capacity, different technical capacity to even like do this. And we are flexible. We are just trying to push it, push it, push it, push it. So we will help you design something that is financially sustainable. And then once we come into a state, so we come in with a payer partner. And once we come into a state, we serve all. And so we do have fee for service because if we didn't have fee for service, we couldn't serve people with Medicaid and we're not willing, right? In every market, like there are some markets where we have value-based payments around Medicaid also. But like when we get in, we're not willing to be an exclusive treatment provider. So once we get into the state, we serve everyone, including commercial, Medicaid, Medicare, some of this fee for service. We want the majority of it to be value-based, but also even in North Carolina, where they haven't expanded Medicaid, then we have a scholarship program. So we serve all, every state that we go in, but to get in a state, we have to have a partner, in your words, that can create that space for us. I'm dying. (laughs) I'm dying. Don't die. (laughs) I'm dying from like the, I don't think y'all know, like I'm gonna start crying here because oh, this needs to be everywhere. Like the barriers to providing good treatment are ridiculous. I've seen people die for no reason other than the fucking system failed. And I, (laughs) now I'm going to get in trouble because I am going to, I want to make this happen. Now this is like my new mission in life. So (laughs) I support this mission to add insult to injury. People die because the fucking system failed. And then the fucking system blames those people for dying. Yeah. That's the insult. Right. That's the insult. And that's what brought me to addictions when I did that rotation in psychiatry. I was like, the medical system is pushing these people into graves and blaming them for it. 
And the activists in me cannot be part of that. Well, it's just like the prison industrial complex is pushing people to prison and blaming oh, them. Oh, girl, now you're going to get me started. Oh, Lord. Mm-hmm. We will be mm-hmm. on this podcast for an infinite number of hours. Right? I've been so angry at the medical system, at our treatment systems, and this gives me so much hope. So thank you. Like, just thank you. First of all, you're delightful. So this is just fun to have a conversation with you. But second of all, like you've created something that is hopefully revolutionary. Like hopefully, like you said, you're on the forefront and then this is what follows. Also too, we haven't even touched trauma. Like, but when we're talking about addiction, there needs to be more trauma treatment integrated into that. And that's because we've got trauma, mental health and addiction are all these fucking separate silos. Dumb. Dumb. (laughs) Yes. I love it. I was just like talking to you like you're my girlfriend and we eating chips. <laughs> but yeah, like, and I mean, it really, I think Eleanor Health is the embodiment of this idea that it takes a village. Yes. Because you said, how do you do it? Because people believe, right? So from investors to payers to our CEO and co-founder, Mm-hmm. to our other co-founders, to our executive team, to the people who are doing direct care in clinics, to the people we're taking care of, to their family members in their communities, all believe. And we can't create something like Eleanor Health without belief and support and investment at every single one of those levels. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And because addiction is such a stigmatized illness, Right. Like that's it's one of the things that, like you said, the redheaded stepchild or the redheaded stepchild. Yeah, exactly. And so you look kind of just like starting systemically. Where is the investment in addiction until recently was not. So the opioid crisis brought a newfound ability to be compassionate. And we can get into the racial dynamics of that if you want. I was going to say, yeah, yeah. I can't remember last time we talked about that on here. So please. Yes. Yeah. And it's interesting because even Eleanor was originally conceptualized as opioid use disorder. And I'm like, substance use disorders, including opioids, have been killing the people that I've been serving for the decade and a half that I've been serving. And it has been a punitive, criminalized, stigmatized, marginalized approach overwhelmingly from every system, which is, of course, killing people. But then when the face of the opioid crisis came to be, young, suburban, white kids, Mm -hmm. then a very compassionate element developed that was previously non-existent. And I'm not judging that. It is what it is. I am accepting that gift. If you look at how we function as humans, like we're animals, we're pack animals. We are biologically driven to protect those who are like us. That is just period. Now, we have a prefrontal cortex and we're trying to jump over those biological impulses, but the biological impulse is to protect those that look like us. So guess what? Yes, when a black kid walks in my office that looks like my son, my urge to protect that child is greater than when a white kid walks in that doesn't look like my son. I know that. So what's my responsibility? Yep. Treat that white kid like I would treat that black kid. Mm-hmm. And so the opioid crisis and the overdose death crisis, the face of it became young white kids. And that allowed the majority white population to develop a sense of compassion because they could see their own kids, 
They could see their own brothers. They could see their own husbands. And so we are taking advantage of that mm-hmm. to apply it in an equitable way. Because in reality, the greatest absolute increase in opioid overdose deaths were in the Black community. Although that was not the face. Right. Wow. Right. And the initial funding did not go to the Black community. And the disparities still exist. And so this is part of Eleanor. Also, we say we're built on equity. Like, we are equity champions, equity for people with substance use disorders, equity for our LGBTQ plus community members who are being denigrated and marginalized and oppressed, equity for our black and brown people, equity for our women, right? Like all of those groups, it has to be a whole person approach to use a buzzword, a whole community approach and that has to include justice. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like, because if you've considered yourself an activist your whole life. Do you think that there's been a tipping point that things are changing where corporations and these big systems are more willing to look at justice? Yes. And I'm very hopeful about that. So I don't think it's anyone who can look at now 15 plus years ago that I started practicing medicine and today and say that things are the same. Progress has been made. Mm -hmm. Now, is there still quite a bit of progress <laughs> to continue making? Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Progress has been made. I was just teaching about this ADCAR model of change, and it's similar to the stages of change. So if we think about the stages of change, it's like pre-contemplation. I don't even know there's a problem. That's like back during segregation. Mm. Contemplation. Yeah, there might be a problem here, but I'm not at the point where I'm ready to address it. That's like up until recently. Yeah. Preparation is like, there's a problem and I have to make a plan to address it. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's kind of sort of where we are. Yes, that's exactly what it is. Because a bunch of white people are like, wait a minute. Oh, shit. There's a problem. What do I do? (laughs) And we're like, oh, we've been telling for our whole lives that there's a problem. But guess what? It's a gift horse. So I don't have to look it in the mouth. I have to try to help remove those barriers. I have to keep increasing that awareness so that we can move into action. And we're straddling. It's like some people have been in action a long time, but as a whole big country, I feel like we have an opportunity to move from preparation to action. And so, yeah, it was a hard path to get here. And George Floyd got murdered and there was like this big collective awakening. That was painful for Black people because we like, How long have we been crying out? But it was also hopeful because it's like now there is a mass motivation and awareness and a desire to be addressing equity and like in every system at every stage. And so we capture it and try to figure out how to act and then make that get into maintenance to make it sustainable. It's so brilliant to apply that model to this. It's great. I love it. Mm. Thanks. Mm. 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 Yes. (laughs) Anyway, one of the questions I ask all my guests that I'm really curious about your answer is, do you consider yourself a healer? So it's funny because I would say, I think people would say about me, yes. I put a lot of respect on the word healer. Like it carries a heavy responsibility and impact. And so I will say, I kind of feel the same way about it as I feel about cultural competence, Mm. which is like, throw that term in the trash. You're always working. Like, that's your goal. 
and you're always working towards it. So I would answer your question and say, I am always every single day working to be a healer for the people in my life, whether that's myself personally, professionally, but I consider it a lifelong journey. So I don't think I would ever say like, I'm there because I'm always gonna be working on being better at it for the people in my life. I really love that. And I, I've asked this question over 150 times now, and I don't think anyone's answered it that way. Well, look at me being numero uno. <laughs> <laughs> right. Sorry, I, mean, I love it. I love your energy. But that's exactly right. I mean, everything is a journey. We never arrive at anything ever, really, because even though I feel like I'm a competent therapist, I'm still working every day to be a better therapist. Exactly. And every single day learning something like, when you have the privilege that you and I have to be welcomed into so many people's lives mm-hmm. so intimately and to touch so many lives, it's like multiple times per day, we're learning something, we're experiencing something with someone that we otherwise wouldn't have had the opportunity to experience. We're getting some sort of enlightenment. I don't know, to be like, I'm healing you feels a little disingenuous because healing's coming this way. Right. Well, the image I'm getting is almost like the infinity, like going between, between the patient and the clinician. Yes. Mm. I like that. That looks like a logo to me. Hmm, I don't know. I like that. <laughs> Eleanor Health, Illinois. I, <laughs> I receive it, name it, claim it. Right, right. Yeah. Well, how do you feel about the term wounded healer? So it's funny because I was telling my husband, I was like, I'm doing a podcast today and it's called Wounded Healer. And he was like, what's that mean? And I think you specifically said in your email, like, I'm going to ask you to tell me what that means. I don't think there is a human who is not wounded, especially not in this culture that we have in this country. And so if I think about the concept of the wounded healer building on the infinity imagery that you just gave us. I was just listening to a blurb from this book and it was called, We're All Fucked. (laughs) A book about hope. Oh, brilliant. Isn't it brilliant? And so I think, and I'm just doing this in real time. I intentionally didn't think about it when you sent it to me because I was like, I don't want to come canned. So I'm like doing this thinking in real time about this infinity and this idea like we're all fucked but it's still a book about hope. I kind of think of that as the wounded healer. It's like, we have all been through something in life that scraped us up. If we're lucky, we only got scraped up. If we're not lucky, we came to the brink of death, whether emotionally, psychologically, physically, spiritually, life meaning purpose-wise, like a lot of people's experiences bring them to the brink of death in one of those ways, or maybe you're just lucky to have been scabbed up. I would say I'm lucky to have been scabbed up. I think that's where I will put myself. The beauty of the wounded healer is a person who's continuously walking that path, who can share those wounds with the people that you're in a healing relationship with. I will always believe that relationships create all opportunities and that relationships are the foundation of all health. And in that relationship, 
I have to be able to share my wounds if I'm asking you to share your wounds. And it goes against psychiatric neutrality. I know. Neutrality is bullshit. Dumb. That's white supremacy. Oh, <laughs> wait a minute now. Wait a minute. Yes, it is. What is neutral? Because oh, if that white is deep. normal, fuck that. Come on now. That was- <laughs> oh. That hit me. That hit me straight in the heart, in the gut, in the brain, in all the places. Mm-hmm. That is real talk. Mm-hmm. Hey, neutrality is white supremacy. Yeah, and that's part of decolonizing. And I know decolonize is not really a verb, right? It's, but I think that's part of it. Really unpacking, like, where did these things come from? You took me there. Only an old white dude is going to say I can be neutral because he thinks he can but no 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 you cannot right dang that was you see (laughs) see we heal each other we heal each other right I totally agree with you on relationships being the foundation and you know as I've been on my anti-racism journey and trying to kind of I don't know. I feel like I'm expanding and kind of putting like an umbrella more over the work that I do, just recognizing community. Yes. Community. Right. And that is also a product of white supremacy not being in community because that's more of the individual shtick. Yep. And that's what I'm really leaning into more than ever. And I it's funny, I was doing it that way. Like every time I would bump up against something, I'd be like, I don't know how to do this. Well, let me find other people who do and let's create something together. But now I'm like, oh, that's what I was doing. I was building a village. That's right. And so it's so funny because at Eleanor Health, we call the people we take care of community members. And when our head of marketing talks about, quote, member acquisition, Mm. she says, last month, we welcomed I'm making up a number, 50 new people to our community. And language matters. We call our staff team members, and we call the people taking care of community members. And when we welcome a new person, we are as much asking to join their community as we are inviting them to join our community. It's excruciatingly important. This is part of the ways we kill people with addiction. We put them on an island marginalize them, make them feel like they're not worthy of connections. And then when you get kicked out of the pack, you die. Right. And I want to say to that too, because as the loved one of people with addiction issues, sometimes the loved one is not the one to provide the care, right? That's why communities like this exist, because I alone cannot be the sole caretaker emotionally, physically, spiritually, all of these things for the people in my life that need that support. So thank God there are your communities where people can go. Absolutely. And I mean, and I think it's important for your listeners to hear from you, an addiction expert, from me, an addiction expert, my ability to be the expert for somebody in my family is non-existent. Talk about no neutrality. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Non-existent. And so that's what I tell, because at Eleanor, we also take care of the support system of the individual that we're taking care of. We try to wrap around everybody. And it's like, you need your own individual support. And there will be times where you have to draw a boundary for your own safety and sanity that we don't have to draw because the maternal bond is not there. The spousal bond is not there. And so by having the whole community, it's like, birds flying in a V. 
sometimes that bird in the front needs to drop back and that bird in the front can drop back because they know without question that there's another bird to right. keep the flying. Yes. And that's what addiction takes away when you're in it, you know, and it's this is like everything we talk about in Al-Anon. I'm a grateful member of Al-Anon. And it's that we think that we solely have to hold it all together because what if it falls down? But then the brilliance of Al-Anon is maybe it's supposed to fall down sometimes so that people know that they need to ask for help. (laughs) Yeah. And then I really want to push on that because part of our problem here in the United States is we don't recognize the fall down until it's, quote, rock bottom. And that is so stigma driven, right? Like what if, whatever, I talk on these podcasts and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, how do I know if I have a problem? And I always say, if you're asking the question, the answer is yes. And if we could get the stigma low enough, even right now in COVID times where everybody, like all of us are drinking and eating and smoking ourselves, trying to cope with COVID. And you used to drink a drink every other weekend when you went out with your friends and now you're drinking a glass of wine every night and you feel it. You're like, now I'm drinking a glass of wine every night. But nobody would say one glass of wine is a lot. Don't talk yourself out of it. If we could reduce the stigma enough to say, I'm worried about me. Are you worried about me? And intervene earlier. Like breast exam. The reason we ask women to do monthly breast exams is because we want to know as soon as humanly possible so we can intervene. Can we take the same approach? Mm -hmm. Well, I was was reading yesterday. I teach an addictions class at Loyola in Chicago and we got a new textbook. So I was reading the textbook to prepare for the class. And it was saying that like, out of the $139 billion that's spent in the addiction industry, 2% of that is spent on prevention and education. Dumb. That's going to be like, our, <laughs> that's our word for this whole episode. Dumb. Dumb. That's, this is the title. This Dumb. is the title of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> we wonder why we're in the predicament we're in. Mm-hmm. Probably some similar statistic exists for health overall. I think it will be worse for substance use disorders because of the stigma and our less stigmatized conditions. A larger percentage will be spent on prevention, but it'll still be too little. We're so reactionary. Right, right. I think that's kind of white supremacy too when we think about like linear thinking and, you know, symptom driven, all of that shit. Dumb. Oh my God. Oh, wow. Well, we're coming to the end of the hour. And I will, first of all, tell people where they can find you and then tell them what you want to leave them with. What brilliance you want to drop before you go. I always try to leave my brilliance in form of tangible resources. Mm. So you can find me on Twitter in a Harrison MD, like medical doctor. Mm-hmm. You can find me on Facebook in Zynga A. Harrison MD. You can find me on LinkedIn, which is like the lamest. My niece was like, LinkedIn, nobody's looking for you on LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> Some people are out there sending me fucking messages and I'm like, I do not care. That's, I mean, but shout out to LinkedIn because that's how Oxion found me. And that's why I'm now co-founder and chief medical officer at Health. So okay. No fake on LinkedIn. <laughs> in terms of resources, eleanorhealth.com. We believe deeply that it is our responsibility to lower the bar 
and reduce stigma for people to ask for help. In that vein, no matter where you are in the world, we have free support groups that are free. We have a weekly group for people who are using and wondering and or know and just are not yet ready to make the change, but like, I want some support. We have groups for people who are completely abstinent, who are trying to remain abstinent. We have groups for support and loved ones of people that they're worried about. They're virtual, they're online, they're completely free. There is no commitment. We don't want anything from you. It is just support. Mm -hmm. So EleanorHealth.com as a resource. In recovery as a resource. My premise on that show is that, yes, all of us can understand addiction because that's like one of the biggest cognitive distortions is that I don't understand how mm -hmm. a person could. You understand it. Yes, you do. <laughs> because there is something that every single one of us is doing that we would either do differently, less of, stop, if it were that easy. We all get it. Mm -hmm. And so that's the premise of the show is just like this compassionate, all of us approach that is like, of course we understand it because I've had my own experience and now pour dopamine on top of it and now you get it. Mm -hmm. And so I would really encourage you to listen to the show if you need compassion. We answer questions, we give education, sometimes other experts come on every single episode, you will feel compassion. And I feel like like that's what I want to contribute to healing. And then the third resource is We the Village. Have you heard of We the Village? <clears throat> oh my goodness. WeTheVillage.co, started by a woman who is CEO and co-founder, Jane Mackey whose loved one was going through addiction. And as he was going through the treatment system, there was nothing for her. No guidance, mm -hmm. no support, no education. And she was like, I need something. And so she created wethevillage.co, not .com, .co. And it's a free online village where you can get support from other loved ones. But mm -hmm. then there's also an evidence-based systematic series of group sessions or individual sessions that you can go through, which mm -hmm. empower you to be the support system to your loved one. And they have like beautiful outcomes. I don't want to misstate her outcomes, but like over 60% of loved ones who go through the program, their affected person enters treatment. Mm. See, the change starts from within. The change starts from within. And so those are the resources that I would like to drop on people. I'll just say my last words always are compassion and relationships create all opportunities. Whatever it is, we can scale it if we start there. Mm. Well, thank you so much for just being in the world, first of all. And second of all, thank you for being on the podcast. I know listeners are going to geek out on this episode and I feel like I made a new best friend. Yes! <laughs> Girl, can we please be best friends? You send me a phone number. I'm gonna be texting you gifts and memes. Okay. Yes. When COVID <laughs> is over, we're gonna have a sleepover. It's gonna be great. Straight up sleepover. Gifts, <laughs> ice cream, mac and cheese, all of it. You can see where I have to control myself. Yes. Oh well, thank you, thank you, just so much. I really appreciate you. Thank you so much. I loved this. This was so good for me today. OMG, isn't Enzinga amazing? New best friend. 
and we're gonna have a sleepover. And I'm making up songs about our new relationship. <laughs> anyway, to find out more about Dr. Enzinga Harrison, please visit our website at www.headhearttherapy.com podcast. As always, thank you so much to the Creative Imposter Studios for editing, to Liam O'Donnell for our album art, and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. Until next time, bye bye